but yeah, I think we just start off with like the group of people that you grew up around and grew up hunting with. Like, just go ahead and just restate what you just said, if possible. Right. No, no problem. So I was raised around the, uh, a group of fox hunters that were the southern, uh, Ronnie Graves, Bill Curtis, uh, Ronald Huckleby, Alvin Withy. Uh, and like the first, those are all fox hunters. The first bear hunter that were around, which still around here, he doesn't hunt anymore, but his name is Craig Morgan. His guide license number was 002. He was the second person to ever have a guide license in the state of California. That's crazy. Uh, so that was back, you know, there was a lot of guiding done those years without a guide license because that program hadn't put, been put together yet. Uh, right. And uh, I, my guide license were, I got my first guide license in 93, graduated high school, and started guiding right away. And uh, mine was 20, like 2709. So there was a couple thousand guides in the state at that time. Right. And started my own outfit right away. Just guiding bears or were you just guiding guide, kind of everything? Just, yeah, just guiding bears. Uh, started that with the hogs. As my career in the guiding progressed i went all over the western united states guiding deer elk uh, it's just stuff that i wanted to do and i kind of had to learn it as i went and work out deals with other outfitters so that i could bring a set of guys and start guiding with them and and learning the trade because we weren't raised in the deer and elk guide system we were mostly right. houndsmen you know so we didn't know anything about that but i always knew that i wanted to do all that so it kind of just cool. progressed to that. Yeah. You know, I've got a buddy here local that right out of high school, he went out and, and guided in Alaska, some fishing and, and stuff up there. And I thought back, you know what, if I could do it all over again, like that is the coolest time to go do it. Like when you're getting into the real world, go take your time and go do it while you can. You're young and, and it doesn't cost a lot to get around, you know, and you're happy uh, with about anything that, you know, a flat place to sleep and something sure. to eat. Yeah. I still am pretty happy with sleeping in that camper, but, but, uh, you got one of those cool campers though. You got yeah, the, like, that new dog box camper, right? It's pretty nice. You know, you can go anywhere and pull off the road anywhere and have your dogs right underneath you and not worry about them, not in a hotel room. We stay on the road a lot anyways, because yeah. traveling back and forth to different states hunting and, you know, you always worry about getting off the road and going into a hotel room and your dogs are sitting out in a dog box. And oh, yeah. Especially these days with people screwing with them, they just like to have That's them. That's horrible. Yeah. So Michaels was the first one I think I saw. You I had that. think, I think Michaels was, if it wasn't, it was, it was, it should, I think it was one of my first uh, ones that I ever bought before because. Uh, a guy named Leroy Lee, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, he's a oh, yeah. Southern, California, Southern California guy. He was actually the first guy that ever created this. And a uh, Hispanic guy down in uh, uh, Southern California started building them. He built the first one, and that's kind of where, in fact, I don't know of anybody else that has built any hound hunter camper that is that style. It's all came I, from yeah. the same place. That's what I don't, I didn't know if it was like just a California thing or. No, it was just, it would just started that way. And then it come to, you know what, Ronnie bought one, my dad bought one and it just, you know, blossomed from there. Everybody wanted one then. You right. Know? 
I and still want one, yeah. honestly. <laughs> like to describe it, I mean, the best way it's like it almost looks like a regular mid '80s to '90s truck camper shell. Sure, but the wheel well area, there's doors, and the dogs go under there. Yep. So you've got like different configurations. Michael, yours had storage inside too, right? You had like two bunks. Yeah, I had two bunks, and then underneath both beds was dog box. And so mine, yeah. each dog box was like an L shape. So the dogs go in, and in the back it opened up a little wider. You know, you can haul a few more dogs that way. It had a little hallway you can go yeah. in, take your boots off, cabinets up on this front. Eddie's is pretty much built the same way. Yeah, it's like a big giant U with a divider at like the closest end to the cab. Yeah, absolutely. And what blows my mind is I always thought they would get super hot. I have you know. a fan in mind, but actually they don't get very hot because the sun beats on the camper and all the heat goes in the camper yeah. part and not the dog box part. Yeah. So it actually stays way cooler than the dog box. They're pretty slick. Yeah, they are. I, I would never have a truck without one. Very handy in the wintertime. You know, you know how it is. You're out there in the middle of winter, you're in a storm or whatever. You just crawl in there and go to bed and you get up and you're, yeah. you don't have to put a cot up. You don't have to put a tent up. You don't have to put a tarp up. You don't have to do any of that stuff, you know? And don't get me wrong, in the summertime, I like to have just the dog box. Not that we use the rig and rack much anymore. Most of our dogs strike right out of the, out of the sides. Right. Har- we hardly ever put a dog up anymore, you know? Uh, but that camper is, is definitely key because it's a home away from home anywhere you go, you know? Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I've just never seen one. And trying to find somebody to make them, unless I got the info from you guys, you couldn't like Google that and find it hardly. No, yeah. <laughs> this this guy down south has definitely got that uh, market uh, pretty connected. And you can call him, tell him what size truck you are, and little a, a few little details, and he knows exactly how to build them. Man, we need yeah. to get his information. And I'll just put it in the show notes. Absolutely. I'll, I'll send it to you and then you have it. And he, his name is Martin and he loves all the hound hunters because he's built a lot of them now, you know? Yeah. Just so, so people can see them. Cause it is, it's pretty cool. They're, they're really unique. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have to send you a picture of one and, and that way you can post it too. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty slick. So is that what you were living out of on your, your big lion hunt? You know, not on that particular one. So we have a place out there that we can stay and it's really hard on those type of line. Uh, when you're hunting in Utah, especially the area we're hunting in, the book cliffs is an hour and 30 minutes from town. It's hard to keep, there's nothing out there. It's hard to keep a client out there that far without any, anything, any comforts. And most of the time you're hunting in weather that's eight, 10 below. So trying to keep them comfortable they can usually yeah. only handle about a day of that of and then they need to go home and get in a hotel room get some hot food and that sort of thing so we haul back sure. and forth on that particular trip when we're lion hunting out there and so the, let me get this straight you grew up around a bunch of fox hunters mm-hmm. and then you went on to guiding bears always wanted to, always wanted to be a bear hunter you know when you're a kid you can go see a little fox in a tree or you can go you know, run bears. So right. when, you, when you're young, you know, in high school and everything, well, that's all we did was chase, wanted to go around and run bears. That was more attractive to us. And yeah. uh, later on, we'll get to talking about him a little bit, but I, I got hooked up with some guys and uh, Alvin actually went to work for me, Alvin Withy, uh, really good, 
really good bear hunter and taught me probably more about bear hunting than anybody else. And that, that was just addicting to me, you know, to guide bear hunters. And at a, when you're in 93, making that kind of money every day was, you know, can you go to work somewhere and make a hundred bucks a day or go guide a bear hunter? You know, it's way more attractive to go buy a bear hunter and be in the woods where you love to be rather than working somewhere. So, you know, that's kind of how we got into it. What what is it about the bear hunting that just got you fired up? Uh, The adrenaline. I'm adrenaline junkie anyways. I, I like adrenaline and don't get me wrong, every piece of big game and there's, it may take more of a quality dog to tree a fox, but the adrenaline behind the bears has always attracted me, you know? Yeah, uh, it's well, different. It is, it is. And it's, uh, you know, different strokes for different folks, but I always enjoyed that. And I, it may take a better track dog, uh, quality hound to tree a fox consistently, but it takes a tough minded dog to be what I consider a bear dog, not a real, just bear, dog. A real bear dog, one that stands flat footed and is going to stay there until you get there, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, it's always attracted me that, that style of dog. So do, are you running any of the same lines of dogs carried on through your family or is this new stuff that you're hunting? You know, Cougar can contest to some of this because we, uh, the best crosses that came upon me was had to be in early 2000s. And I bought a female from uh, Sunny. She had a broke leg. Her name was Nugget. She became a pretty famous dog because of all the dogs she threw. Oh, yeah. And uh, Sunny had a little dog. I think, what was her name? Spinner. It was a sister yeah. to her. And then George Baker had a dog named Little Bit. And to this day, I would consider Little Bit to be maybe the best dog that ever walked the face of the earth. I, I don't know that I've ever bear seen a bear dog. Now, I'm not talking about a varmint dog, but she was one that she could have her guts hanging out of her and she would be standing flat footed, barking at anything until she could walk. You know, she was unreal. And that was, no Nugget's, that was Nugget's sister. And I got her from Sonny because I wanted to breed one of them. And he sold me one. She had a broke leg, brought her home. And I uh, had another dog named Gun that came from uh, uh, Timber, which is Cougar's buddy. Timber. It was, it, it, you know, I, don't, I can't brag about the cross that I had on it because it was really just a lucky cross. But everything that come out of there were unreal. Those were, they were some really good dogs. Every litter she threw was, they were game catching dogs and they were not just bear dogs. They were varmint dogs and everything. So. Yeah. A lot of the varmint dogs are still off of that stuff. Yeah. And we, I, I, my dogs have to do everything. I don't hunt stuff that are, that are some that are bear dogs and some that are varmint dogs. They got to catch it all. Uh, and I don't think I have to give up much on both sides. I go through a lot of dogs maybe, but not have to give up on the quality, you know? Right. So what, I mean, what would you say is the biggest attribute? Just brains and being able to d- discern what, what their task is at the moment. Cause I mean, they all run bears different than a fox or a cat. Well, I, I probably let Cougar talk a little bit about this, but we talk about it all the time. The type of dog that we got, we call it a running dog. Uh, it's got its trig, it's 
July. It's a little bit of everything mixed up into it. I don't know what all of it. So Santa Maria Run and Walker, all that stuff was kind of mixed into there. But the the line that Nugget come from was a trig that that Sonny had brought out there, and they were just they were good track dogs. They were tough. They could, which people don't give running dogs enough credit. They could trail just as good as a trailing dog could. The difference is when the track got up, they were going to run it down instead of which a lot of trail dogs I feel like uh, don't push a, a track after it gets up hard enough. You know, that's, there's no second gear. They, they, and that's what makes, I feel like that type of dog split apart from other, other hounds. And they're just crossed up great dogs. They got a little bit of this, a little bit of that in them, but they're uh, when they do get the track up, they aim to run it down. And was that like the Boozer trig stuff? What was that? Uh, he, he, he. That's where Nugget started from. The Boozer that's what trig, I thought. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah those, well, you you know the whole history on him, probably, Kunkug. Yeah, I know most of it. <laughs> so, and now just to clarify with everybody, these are dogs that have been used on multiple game species. Absolutely. You know, different handlers across the board in the Pacific oh, yeah. Northwest. Yes. So, well, I mean, I would say the West Coast, even down in Southern California. But they all seem to come from just a couple of places. You know, you can track a lot of these dogs back. So uh, where would you say, like, from Gun and Nugget, that cross, was there a whole lot of going out of that? Or were you guys just keeping everything tight well, to try to just consistently produce all-around dogs? When you look at that... uh Everybody knows cotton. And there was two lines of dogs that I think really makes what we have now or what actually Cougar has. And I've fed off of it and got some of it back over the time. But there was uh, these white dogs, white-faced dogs. A uh, little female I had was uh, named Dottie back in the day. Uh, all Eli, all those dogs that Mike had, he'll tell you about I'm, I'm going to let him explain that because he knows more about it. But those are the kind of the merging of the two styles of dogs. And yeah, that's it. They come from those two different places. And that's what we've created to uh, what we like to run right now. Yeah. Tell us about those. So Yeah, it's actually the same line on both sides because gun was out of the same stuff of these white dogs from Charlie Koontz and Ralph Cowden and all those guys. So Gun is originally started from a actually a red bone. That's where the red color comes from. A dog named uh, Parker's Reverend Red. This is years and years ago. Jeff Tripp and went out there in Missouri and got some pups from you know out of that Reverend Red dog, and then he bred them to a Walker dog and named Buford, and they ended up with a female called the Red Jip. She was a really nice bear dog that Ralph had. So Ralph bred the Red Jip to this dog that he had named Rock, and then they got a dog out of that named Chief, which is Gun's dad. So the Rock dog is also Cotton's great-grandpa. Oh, so they so bred, doubled both sides. Yeah, so that, that's a, it's the same line, just a complete circle. I mean, I could tell you all of it back for since I was a kid. but And real right. distinctive traits and appearance too oh yeah like you can sure. definitely see it yeah the the one the, the appearance there are a lot of white a lot of them have a half white face frosted ear you know there's been i don't know how many of them come out look like that and one of the really good traits is they're outstanding strike dogs i mean then these dogs will go out there and find a track to run on the rig or the road out of the dog box it doesn't matter 
some of the best rig dogs I've ever seen were out of this line of dogs. And that is really consistent in this string of dogs. They are just striking machines. And tough. The, the, you know, that's a trait that most don't have. When you're outfitting or guiding, or do, I don't hunt 15, 20 dogs. I hunt eight or 10, you know, uh, at tops. So them dogs got to go day after day. And that's what I think, and, and uh, Michael contests to that, sets it apart from a regular hound and these type of dogs is two or three days in, a regular dog is starting to wear out and these, and these running dogs are just catching their stride. They got a different tough. gas tank. They do. For yeah. sure. It, it is, I mean, you guys, well, Cougar knows he'll never let me live down owning a bunch of blue ticks. But <laughs> <laughs> when I, when I made the switch over, you know, when we lost the bear hunting and I, I wanted something different and made the switch over to that style of dog, it, it was different. You know, especially sure. when they're in shape, it is like whole different gear. Yeah. Yeah. I never Absolutely. hunt enough to like really see the potential, but you know, it's like when you see guys out there hunting four or five, six days a week and they're just still cranking every single night, that that's something, that's something. It's nice too. When you, you know, it's different when you're hunting for pleasure, but when you're hunting for, uh, a, a client for dollars. You, you, yeah. You've got, you got to perform, you know, and, and they've got to be able to stand up to that. Uh, and you got to have faith in them that, uh, barring any major injury that they can go the next day, you know? Right. And, uh, that, that's, that's what attracted me to them. And not just that, but their desire to run down game, you know, that's really all it in a nutshell. We can describe it a million different ways, but at the end of the day, I, I want a dog to absolutely desire to run down what he's after uh, and, and doesn't quit until – I'll, I'll tell you a story down the road about the little dotty female that Cougar can tell you how it lines up with uh, all of the dogs that he's bred in the past. But she was – she's the toughest female I ever had. Uh, she could run through two or three packs of dogs on one race if the if they couldn't run it down. She was that kind of gears. And they just don't make them like that, you know. Uh, well, and I think a lot of people that are fairly new in this or haven't seen or they they hunt a different style. It's um, it's kind of hard to explain that too. Like, there's a difference in trailing. Like, trail hounds are going to trail, but the desire to realize, like, okay, we just switched from trailing to I'm going to. I'm chasing an animal. We're sure. not running tracks. We're running animal at this point. They got to learn it, to pick their head up. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy to watch, you know, for somebody who's never seen it. Right. So how far, I mean, since you can track it that far back, about what era do you think that this line kind of started? Well, he would have suppose, a idea. yeah, supposedly this started, um, Ralph Calden got a little white speckled up female that was supposed to have been Finley River bred. Um, this guy had a, a litter and this one come out looking, you know, like, like a typical walker. So he gave it to Ralph because he didn't want to sell it because of, you know, the way it looked. Well, Ralph started hunting it, turned out to be pretty good. And then he bred it to, you know, something and ended up, you know, here we are. This is probably 50 years ago. They're still looking like that white speckled up. Yeah. You know? And he's done ears. a lot of line breeding, you know, and 
and a lot of the same kind of traits and same dogs. You know, he bred his good dog to good dog for years, and he had a heck of a pack of dogs. Um, like I said, when I was about 10 years old, that's when I got this bloodline. I, you know, Charlie Kuntz, um, he hunted with Ralph a lot. He had the same line of dogs. Charlie gave me two puppies, which one was Dixie and one was Charlie. And I could, you know, they trace back to everything I still got today. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a long line of, of dogs but mainly bear dogs you know i started breeding the running dogs into those you know back like 2012 when we lost our bear hunt in california that's when i really started focusing on fox hunting more and i started getting running dog and breeding it into the same line of, of tree dogs that i've been hunting and hunting around my whole life and you know i think it made a, a big difference sure um, they were all good dogs don't get me wrong and they're tough and they catch a lot of game but they just didn't have that those extra gears you know that most of them didn't there was a few that did like the one that eddie was talking about Dottie, you know and there's a couple that did but a lot of them were just average speed dogs they weren't no super fast dogs and but she wasn't when, really she wasn't a super fast dog either herself. i mean she wasn't a runaway like you would have but she she had bottom that just never quit yeah so what made her because that's the one Dottie you said yeah yeah that was probably the best bear dog I don't know if it was the, she, yeah, she ranked there. There is no, I mean, I've had a lot of, me and Cougar were talking of if we were going to say what is our best dog. If I didn't have any other dog to take to the woods and I was going by myself with just her, she probably had the most bottom and caught the most game when the chips were down by herself than any other dog I ever owned. Just solid. And just, she was one of those dogs it was really hard to believe with nobody that di- that never got to hunt with her, but you could literally be driving 60 miles an hour over the Western divide and she would come uncorked in that box and it'd take you, you know, 500 yards to get stopped and you could turn her out right there and she would hit that blacktop a hundred miles an hour until she got to the track. And it was, you know, you could, you could almost sharpen your knife. That's how good she Dang. was, you know, that then that's goes back to what, Cougar talks about with strike dogs. I I've said it, and you know I've I'm filling my pens with dogs that are out of cotton because you know I've hunted with that dog enough to know that if you got him out there, he's going to strike eighty percent of the tracks. That's just yeah. the bottom line, you know. Uh, and it's hard to you can't catch nothing you can't strike. It's just bottom line, you know. So if you ain't got a strike dog. Uh, you, you ain't gonna catch anything you got to have dogs that'll start a track and he's phenomenal and that that's the way that bitch was yeah so, so and you're taking i mean all these same dogs and you're still running lions you're running fox i mean you're still hunting fox right i mean oh yeah some Facebook. Well, we've probably caught i've uh, I, he, I think he's caught 60 or 70 this year i probably caught 45 50 you know which is uh, all uh and it's not been a great a great winter for us. Not a lot of rain here. We've only had, you know, a couple of big storms the whole year, but yeah, they catch, they catch everything. I don't yeah, like the same pretty, dogs. Yeah. Pretty versatile. You know, we went over there to Utah lion hunting. We found, uh, three lion tracks, put on all three of them, treat all three of them with dogs. That's, you know, bred to be fox dogs out here in California. Right. You know, Eddie's dogs have been back there a few times. Mine never have, you know, and they I was going to do it. I was going to tell you, talking to Gabe, which is my partner in Utah and the guiding out there, he, he's a resident there and uh, a younger houndsman. 
And that was his, we were talking, I said, what would you say in this, if you were in this podcast, that would be your biggest attribute for your hounds nowadays? And he says he never has seen or heard of quote unquote running dogs that trailed as good as any uh, West dogs that are, you know, English, blue tick, whatever you want to call it with those type of noses right. bred to trail, quote unquote, uh, run and trail like these do. And they run down the game like they do, you know? Right. So it, it, it's blown his mind and that's all he's ever had is those before this. Huh. His, his thought was he has never seen a type of dog that can go to different climates different ranges and perform the same way as these type of dogs do. You know, I can hunt down here with them. I can go to the book cliffs in Utah with them. I can go to stair Creek and off the rogue river in Oregon and they all perform well, you know? Uh, yeah. so, and we're not the only ones that own them, but, uh, the ones we got, I think I'm pretty proud of them, you know? Yeah. Even Phil Charles, we take dogs, Phil Charles, we, you know, win, bring on buckles, trophies, set, right. you know, the Utah state record. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. And we're the farthest so, things from a trail trial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're fun to go hang out at. Yeah. Well, the gunner dog that, that Charlie Johnston owns, he, um, he he's won tons of um, buckles in California all over the place. He's a field trial dog. I mean, he's, he's good oh, yeah. as they get. Well, he's out of the same line of dogs. Charlie bought him for me. Um, oh really? And, yeah, he he goes back to gun. He's actually directly out of gun, huh. uh, and he's artificially inseminated breeding. And then his mother is out of Dottie that Eddie used to own. Oh god! So it's all yeah. the same stuff. And then that Clyde dog that Isaiah has is a full littermate to Gunner. It's out of the same stuff too. So those are the two top field trial dogs in California, and they're all out of the same 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 line. Stock. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's wild. So this, I mean, this last season, you spent quite a bit of time lion hunting, but there was, you had one pretty memorable hunt from this season. So we, yeah, you, you know, as anybody's done it, a lot of lion hunters or a lot of lion hunts, you don't always, you may spend a week catching a lion in any, in, in decent conditions. We hardly ever went there where I didn't catch in a five day hunt. We didn't catch at least two. You know, and the time that, that Michael went with us, uh, we, the first two days, it was snowing so hard and the wind was blowing so hard. We had 50 mile an hour gusts. I mean, you couldn't see across the road. If a lion did make a track, it'd be blowed in in 10 minutes. Right. So we didn't even get the hunt those first two days and still managed to catch, uh, that many in, in the, the remainder of the hunt. And two of them we caught the same day. One of them, what, what happened was we, uh, they just came out with a law that, and I think it's a fairly good law that uh, any collared cat you can't uh, take. And the first cat we treed was a collared female, so we had to let her go and and go cut another track. And we got lucky and caught one late. Cut one late, uh, I think one o'clock or so, and took us a few hours to trail him up and get him jumped and and treat him. And then we had a mess on that. I don't know which member one we were talking about. We caught one on the on a cliff too. So you'd have to tell me which one you're talking about and I'll tell you the story. Well, let's start with the one on the cliff. We'll just hear both. Okay. We, uh, 
that was the first time I think I was out there this winter. It was a, we had a little skiff of snow and, uh, there was an old snow there and, uh, I cut a track at like four o'clock in the morning and it had snow in it. And I couldn't tell because it was, had stepped into old snow. I couldn't tell exactly how old it was because it had snow in it. So I, uh, I blew it out. I blew the track out with, uh, just blew the snow, the light snow out of there. Like and I said, well, I'm, there? Yeah. Or, no, is that just, what you pack? I just blow it out with my mouth, you know, just blow air into it. And, and if that, that light snow will just float, fly right out of the track, you know. That blew so, my mind the first time I saw it. Guys carrying around canned air. Yeah. Spraying just, tracks. I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? Are we dusting keyboards? Or I just <laughs> do it with my mouth. And it, it looked decent enough where I thought they could. So I had to wait till daylight. And, and I put a couple of dogs on it. And they trailed for, I don't know, about an hour and a half. And I cut them crossing the road. And when I cut them crossing the road, there wasn't no snow in that track. And I knew that we were in business then. And in another 30 minutes, they were rolling pretty good. And uh, make a long story short, they caught it on a, on a rock and uh, on a ledge. And I, I was following them. And when I did, I was having another guy come around and get me. And I, I didn't grab my pack. I was just hurrying them because I wanted to get them caught before it got off into a big old canyon. Forgot my leashes. I feel leashes. like that's key. I For- <laughs> feel like that's a key part of this story. <laughs> Forgot my leashes and everything, uh, my little pack that I had. So I had my radio, though, and when I got to them, I didn't have a leash on them, and them dogs were just trying to crawl up there with him. And uh, we actually, I actually had a good female get bit right in the head on that cat. But yeah. uh, it finally, the guy got there, and... As soon as those guys creeped around the rock, of course, it seen all them people and blew off the rock, and Out we had to re- we retreat it. But uh, he took it. It was a really good tom. I think it weighed 150, 160 pounds. Uh, and that was uh, a big cat. Yeah, it was a really good cat for there. Uh, and then uh, the other one was uh, <laughs> me and Michael and Gabe had. We, the one of those ones, I think it was in the, uh, the one we cut the second, the second cat, we cut that same day. It, uh, how long did it take them, Mike, to, cut, to trail that cat up? It, it took them quite a while. They went, you know, over some pretty rough stuff, you know, that country and, is, that country is to Jason, to describe it, them cats can go up them, them, uh, cliffs and a dog a lot of dogs will want to pull up right there and they'll screw around or they'll try to tree or whatever. Well, these dogs that's been in a little bit, uh, especially one of these dogs I got, he'll just leave until he can find a way up it or down it and then come sure. all the way back to the track. So he may leave the track two or 300 yards to get around, to get around. Well, that's, the outbound. that's what them dogs, all of these dogs were doing. And like cotton and olive some of them dogs of mike's they never been there at all they don't know nothing about this country and they did well in that anyway we trailed that for i don't know two or three hours before they got it jumped and they treed this thing right on a big old cliff and and uh, mike and gabe went on to the tree and i was bringing the guy around and they were there for a little bit and about the time i get over the top of them there it's 150 yards below me and I could see the cat in the top of the tree and I was trying to get the guy off this I don't know it probably took from the where I was at to where the tree was I bet it took Michael 15 minutes to get there and it was only 100 yards it was just bad bad yeah, it, was, it was rough yeah scary scary country well 
that as soon as that sucker, as soon as we got there, it come out and it flew off all the way into the bottom of this canyon and went out the other side and treed. And uh, it was too dangerous to take the client. I, w I wouldn't do it. You know, he was begging me to go off there because he was just shot. We'd walked him to death sure. to get there. And I says, man, it'd be irresponsible for me to take you off there because we'll, we can drive around the bottom and get fairly close and not, uh, not hurt it. So Mike, sure. Mike came back up to me and uh, Gabe went, worked his way and it took him I mean, the dogs were only treed 500 yards and it took him an hour and a half to get to them, to weed through to get to the dogs. And it took us two and a half hours to get back to the bike and all the way around to come into to where they were. And we got it killed right before dark. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. It was a good hunt. Dogs Do did, you guys, did too good. You have to wait till daylight to run down there yep. or can you run them at night? Nope. You got to, you, you can cut all night. At tracks, but you've got to wait till uh, daylight to turn loose and you got to be done before dark. So, so with guiding, I mean, are you having to change ground pretty consistent or do you have a good enough population there that you can kind of hunt familiar places? Well, the places I don't know that country as good as Gabe knows it because you know, I live here, I'm learning it really well. I know the book cliffs pretty good now, but the book cliffs is huge. Uh, well, we, we stayed in that, in that country and in two days we treat three cats. So it's not like they're not a lot, right? but we run into, you know, 15 hunters out there that hadn't caught a cat in a week. So it, a lot of it is learning how to hunt them cats. There's, uh, learning how they travel in that country. You can drive every road there is, but if you don't know how they're crossing and what they're using, you'll, you'll never cut one. You got to drive the right road. That or, you know, you may go all the way to the end of a ridge system and turn around on a road. And if you would have walked off the end of that where that cat would have come around the front of that, he could have been just 75 yards sure. off that hill and he would cut right around there. In fact, one That's of those exactly times. exactly what happened, yeah. Yeah. We were going out a road and we were almost to the end of it. We were 100 yards from the end of it. And I told Mike, I looked over and I says, if we're going to cut a track, it's going to be right here. And we went 50 more yards and there he was. Yeah. Just knowing where they are, you know, knowing how they use that country is the ticket. Yeah. I feel like the successful lion hunters, everyone I talk to, it's, it's all about the pregame. Yep. It's doing the homework in the, in the locker room and knowing and getting to know the country. And, and the, you know, every country is different. We hunt the North and South slope, that country up around uh, the Flaming Gorge, those cats operate totally different than they do out in the book cliffs. And they're only two and a half hours apart, you know? Like as far as their movement, like yep. within their cycle or? How they travel, what they use, you know, they just operate different. But you're hunting cliffy country, cedar trees type country rather than timber. So okay. uh, they, uh, they just operate a little different. It probably has a lot to do with the way they feed, the way they hunt, you know, uh, the way the elk and the deer move, you know. Uh, I think that's how that that's what changes the two animals or the two areas. So that makes sense. I mean, yeah. whatever the prey's doing, the predators will do too. Sure, and a cat's smart. You know, I I think once you're on a good cat track, they're the easiest thing there is to catch. But finding one is not is the ticket, and finding right. them right. You know, so how how often do you come across a track that's just too small to turn out on? 
I mean, oh. is that hard to get a client to pass up a track because you don't want to burn a dog out on a or an opportunity on a, a juvenile? Well, we try to explain and prepare our clients before we even get there. So we they, we have an expectation of what they're wanting, and we as an outfit, I feel like we've got to hold ourselves to a standard to what we want to allow our client to take. You know, we sure. got to think about a lot of things. We want to think about uh, the population of the lions. You want to, you know, you don't want to be killing these young lions, these juvenile lions, uh, or something that's not even away from uh, the female. You know, then right. you can you can cut a, a young track and may not cut the other ones, and then end up at the tree and find out that you got a female and two yeah. big yearlings are right there that they were just walking off a little bit. You know, you got to be cautious about that. I think we try to find a a decent cat before we put out on a decent yeah. track so so what what is the guide service you can go ahead and plug it it's uh no tell them outfitters and we and where, where can people find you you can go on the our website we no tell them outfitters.com uh and we've got everything listed on there you got yeah. facebook yep it's on facebook instagram all instagram that. all nine yards yeah um, um, uh, I hardly run any of that stuff. That's mostly Gabe. I'm the most untechnical guy that you've ever met. This, <laughs> That's uh, what you said. And I was the one that had technical <laughs> issues tonight. <laughs> getting me on this, uh, the technology that we took to get me on this podcast was about my limit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I said it. it's, it's not bad. Yeah. It's easy stuff. Well, cause we were going to, I started talking to you again last week cause we got hooked up at, at the Elk Creek trial again. Sure. You know, and. That's just what I found myself is when you're sitting around this group and you got all these guys that are in their eighties, like that's the group to sit around, right. you know, and yeah. then all these, you know, guys like yourself and Michael and, you know, everybody just kind of gravitates towards just that knowledge base there and hearing all these stories about these dogs from the past and the crazy hunts. And sure. You know, like but, listening to Sonny, he, he, he's the best storyteller that ever walked the face of the earth. You oh, know? you know it. And, and he, and it's not, that he's just a great storyteller. Those stories are true. He's a, uh, he's as honest as the day is long, but he could sure tell a story and you want to sit there and listen to him. You know, oh, that's why yesterday I got to talk with Jesse and I, I talked with Sonny this morning. Cause I've been trying to set it up to get down there for almost two years now. And right. then COVID hit and I'm not going to be the one to kill Sonny Turner. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I didn't want to take any chances. <laughs> And then, you know, everything else going on in life on my end and time starts slipping away and you realize, man, I got to get down there. So we've been really actively pursuing it since like Elk Creek. And uh, I think I'm really hoping that next week I can find some time to slip down there and, and do one with him too. Awesome. Yeah, that was, that's, I feel like back in the day when we were young was some of the best houndsmen that ever walked the face of the earth they were not just hunters but they were houndsmen uh, i wished you i don't know if you ever got a chance jason to meet a guy named bill curtis mm -mm. he died uh i don't know four or five years ago or something at in his mid 90s and sunny he hunted with sunny he's hunted with everybody and he was just as good of a houndsman that there was he could take any type of dog and make something out of it, you know? And he hunted yeah. six days a week. The only day he didn't hunt was Sunday because he was at church and that was religious. He did it every, all his life. Why so. do you think that is? I mean, just 
what's your opinion on why have I mean, I know there's a lot more hunters per capita now mm-hmm. by far. I mean, hound hunting has just taken off in a lot of ways. But why do you I think mean, there was more think, hound hunters or uh, hound, better houndsmen like then? Houndsmen, yeah, like that caliber of houndsmen then. Is it just we're over flooded with a lot more hunters or? Well, I don't know. It's look at like, I think a lot of those in those days were raised in the, into it. You know, we didn't know any different. But to, on Friday night, my dad worked for a living, so we didn't know any different than to go get in that truck on Friday night because that's where we were going until Sunday night. Sure, Mike's the same way. His dad was a houndsman. He was around. I think there's a lot of young people in here, and I think that's where people like me, not Mike, because Mike's good about that, are very uh, negligent on taking young houndsmen in and working with them, uh, taking them hunting, just showing them a different way. They, they don't have the set of guides that we all had, I feel like, in those sure. days. Uh, I think we're all kind of – I I think to elaborate on that, it's a lot more people in this set group. Like they've been hunting dogs for, let's say, three to five years. Right. Right? And they congregate because we're – they're all going through this at the same time. And then the guys that have been doing it longer can look back on that. And it's like, Oh, I see what you're doing. If I were you, I'd really consider this and, you know, try to help them out. But it's hard to find a, I think people willing to share that knowledge that is not in that older age bracket. It's too bad and too. And I'm, I, I'm is. guilty of it. You know, like I can say of my life, I had a dad that, we didn't have a ton of money, so we didn't buy a lot of dog. We did, he never bought a dog. I mean, if he paid two or three hundred dollars mm-hmm. for a dog, he made everything that he had. Which that takes a good houndsman to do that. You didn't yeah. just go buy trained dogs, you know. Uh, and then I had when I started guiding, I was the guy that jumped into an outfit right off. I owned my own outfit, but I surrounded myself. What I felt like was some of the best bear hunters in the country that worked with me, you know, Alvin Withy, Lewis Thompson, uh, Ronald Huckabee, all those guys that have been around hounds forever. And they taught me how to not just how to catch a piece of game after you find the track, but how to find a, a bunch of bears, how to find feed, you know, all of those things that make you a good hunter along, along with that, you know, so like more of a true woodsman. Exactly. I feel yeah. like that generation. And I had all of that. I think Mike had it too. I mean, there's, yeah. it's hard to find young hunters. I mean, Mike's 10, 12 years younger than me that catch the amount of game that he catches and understands yeah. what's happening when it's happening with, you know, don't lie to himself about what a dog's doing out there. I right. think what's that's, happening between A and B. Exactly. You know, it's, uh, that's, that's, that's a trait in itself. Yeah. When you go to lying to yourself about what them dogs are doing in the woods, you're not going to do nothing but hurt yourself because you're going to let them get away with too much, you know? Exactly. So. You know, I just, I had a conversation with a guy that I haven't talked to in years. We had a bit of a falling out and uh, got a phone call and we, we talked some stuff over and he said something that just resonated. He says, well, uh, I heard you got real honest about some dogs. <laughs> I said, yes, I did. You know, and that... It's a whole different level when it comes to dealing with dogs is once you can, once you can really be honest and not justify a lot of that crap in your head, 
you know, even if you don't make the decision that you might need to make, at least you know you're making the wrong one instead of just doing it unknowingly. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, Michael, when you went over that way, that you hadn't been over and, and hunted that country before? So, I went over there in the summertime and hunted bears one time before, but I've never been over there cat hunting. You know, talking about yeah. Utah. And... Yeah, it was uh, it was quite an experience. You know, it was it was cold. It was in the negatives every day, like negative eleven, negative twelve, and you know, it took me a day or two to kind of get used to that kind of cold weather. And uh, I didn't know how my dogs were going to do in that kind of weather. They've never been in anything like that, you know. Right. So I was a little nervous about that, but they they did just fine. You know, they put them on uh, on those tracks, and they went along with with Eddie and Gabe's dogs and made every tree and. Had had no problem out of it at all. I was really impressed how good they did in that kind of conditions, never being on on any kind of snow like that. You know, some yeah. of that snow we were, you know, up up to our waist almost, and some of it up in the drifts. You know, trying to get through it. I don't even know how the dogs got through that stuff. Swimming, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it was a definitely, a, yeah, it was definitely a, a different experience. You know, I'm used to fox hunting out here you know it's kind of a fast pace you road dogs there you just drive around all day looking for a track you know i'm chomping at the bit to get these dogs out of the track tracking. you know <laughs> that's, that's what they call it in wisconsin they call it tracking. Yeah, we did some tracking. <laughs> but we didn't go that long you know first couple of days like, like eddie said it snowed and it was windy and storming you know it wasn't much we can do i mean we're still out there but wasn't much you could do but after the storm settled it was it was on man it was, it yeah, was a like hunt. a lot of times on that the, them cats aren't even going to move in that stuff so sure you know if it, it, not to say that it, they don't ever move in a storm but sometimes when it's blowing 60 miles an hour and you're sitting on top of there and the wind chill is 30 below you know it's like you're spinning your wheels a lot of it but i, I, yeah, I was gonna risk and reward <laughs> i was gonna tell you a testament to what these hounds are gabe has hunted there his whole life that's he's lived in vernal utah his whole life and he's everything he's got now is this style of hound uh, i asked him today i says what do you think because i wanted to give him a little bit of input on uh, this podcast of what he thinks is the biggest attribute to these dogs and he goes he's always heard that running dogs couldn't trail a track they were just running a hot track all the time. He's proved that to be different. And that they're the most versatile dogs in every in any type of country that he's ever seen. They can go anywhere and not make you look bad, you know? Yeah. And that that is the biggest testament I can think to these type of dogs is what they do. I, I always hate the term when somebody says, oh, you got running dogs, they're never going to trail. And that is not the case. It's not no, true. Not at all. Yeah, well, no, Cotton's, I, Cotton's a perfect example. He's he's half running walker, and he's the best trail dog I own. Probably one of the best trail dogs I've ever hunted with. And he, when he hits a track, he don't bark in the same place twice. I mean, Eddie can testify right. to it too. He he's he can trail a track with the best of them. And his brother Eli was the same way. You know, it, and you know it, it's. I hear all these people all the time, you know, same like Eddie's saying, these are oh, running dog. It won't trail. It won't tree. It don't do this. It don't do that. Well, maybe if you don't have the right one, but yeah. you know, the ones that I want, they, they do it all, you know? Well, I know I was talking with Brett, Brett Vaughn and he's doing some pot liquor. So whatever he calls those dogs down there, the pot liquor dogs. 
and some running dog crosses now too. Right. They're looking at doing some of that, you know, because I do think they got a bad rap, you know, a oh, running dog definitely. is just a running dog. But I mean, some of these, like some of the Boozer stuff and, you know, some of these Julys even full blooded, will sit there and rack them off at a tree. Well, it's like that Beetlejuice dog I sold to Sonny. He, he'd locate and tree just like a coon dog. I yeah. Mean, he, he was a, he's full paper trick. Registered and trick. Registered trick. Sonny Turner still owns him today. He bought him from me. And yeah. he, uh, he'd locate and tree as good as of any uh, coon dog, you know. And, and it's not even, not even the mix, you know, when you break it down. Like, you see these dogs that are five-eighths or quarter or whatever. You know, you can't say the higher percentage of tree dog made them tree better either. No. You know, it's just specific traits that are coming through. Well, like that. those that whole line of dogs that uh, Nugget and them. I know Nugget wasn't. I get, of course, Michael's going to know more about exactly how they were bred, but them were the locatingest tree and suckers you ever laid eyes on, and they they were the triggiest looking dogs you ever laid eyes on. So. Well, they're pretty much half trig, is what they were. That what's what they were. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were, uh, but they were tough, and they had all the aspects that we liked. What I like to see, Jason, is. There's a time in the track when you're skipping up through there that it's time to lift your head up and start running down what they do. That's what, in fact, that's what Gabe said the first time we ever went hunting. We put after a track and they kind of went out of our beeper range and we worked around there and worked around there, tried to get back in line with them. It took us 30, 40 minutes. By that time, the running dogs were already uh, almost a half a mile ahead of them. And by the time we treed the lion, the dogs were a mile and a half, were treed a mile and a half before the other dogs behind by the tracker. That's how far they were behind on a hour and a half track. Just straddling it. Just, well, just when they get to where they can get the track up, they just start skipping on it, you know, and they're pushing to catch it where the mother dogs are kind of the same speed, you know, they. Yeah, they never just, grab yep, gear. Exactly persistence that's that's what's impressed me about you know cotton he like mike said uh, we got a lot of young dogs out of him now but he never barks in the even on a a fox track or something he never barks in the same spot twice and if if i ever hear him bark 10 times on a track i feel like you're gonna bet your ass that we're gonna run that track yeah because he's gonna get it jumped somewhere along the line you know so anyway yeah. No, it's interesting, I mean, to hear, because I think that the track style is what it boils down to. And people, at least I know myself, I didn't understand. Like, it was either you caught it or you didn't, you know. And I think that's how a lot of younger or more uh, inexperienced houndsmen think of things. You're you're gauging success off of catching or not catching. But, exactly. I mean, you would pro- I'm assuming you guys will agree with this. Correct me if I'm wrong. But just because those dogs treed that lion a mile and a half out in front, not to say persistence wouldn't have still caught that same cat. It's the style in which they do it. Not at all. And they, that, they could have. And it's and I would not be ever condemn a dog for saying that he would have never caught that piece of game. But right. I'm always been of the perspective that I want mine to be in the front when he catches that game. So that's pretty much what how we've been raised around here you know there's always competition about it you know you want them hard driving fast running when they when the track gets up they want it you want the dog to be in front 
And that's what we breed for. And it's not wrong that other people breed for different things uh, or not that style of dog, but that's just right. not the style of dog that I want is all, you know? Yeah. I think figuring out what you want as a houndsman is when you, you find that second gear. It's yep. kind of the same thing. You know, instead of going through the motions, you're dedicating. And This is, this is a good example of what we've talked about. There's, always, there's been a few guys that come around that says, I got to sell this dog because none of my other dogs can run with it. Yep. I'm the opposite. I'm going to sell everything else, and I'm going to find something that can run with that one. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> Just take some time off the calendar yeah. and a stack of money. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to own the one that wants to run in the front, not the ones that want to run to everything else, you know. Right. So You need, you need that one. you got to stack the dollars up. Is that how it works yeah. down there? You just stack it up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heck, nowadays you can't make a dog for what you could even buy one. Like ridiculous prices two, three years ago gas at five bucks a gallon you can't afford to make dogs anymore <laughs> it's tough it's tough to go hunting anymore with uh cost a guy an arm and a leg the problem is now is finding a place to hunt the way they let this country burn up yeah you guys lost a lot of ground down there a ton yeah so i mean and it sounds like a lot of it burned in a way that you're not gonna see it coming back anytime in the near future either some of it won't come in my lifetime i don't think that's the that's the wildest part for me. Yeah. Because you know, like we'll get wildfires, and I mean, the biscuit fire was probably one of the biggest ones up here that that people remember. Right. And the Douglas complex a couple years ago, and some of that is just scarred, you know, for a long time. And most of these will recover in you know ten, fifteen years. You'll get something coming back, but sure. Well, you, you know, guys lost a slew of ground down there. Had you ever hunted much in the river up there, the Rogue and around Stair Creek and all that? I don't know about that one specifically, but yeah, I, I live right in Grant's Pass, okay. so I do most of my hunting right around here. I used to go up there a bunch with Tom Matthews, and he lived in Sunny Valley. Oh, yeah. And uh, we yep. always hunted that uh, that Stair Creek, and that was some of the steepest, roughest country. You know, it had to run that undergrowth in there, and then dogs just had to really pull through oh. that. Yeah. It's it was, different ground. Yeah, absolutely. Took a different type of dog to run in that country to, to push, to catch something, you know. That's one thing I'll say, like living right here where I do, I, we're pretty blessed because you can be high desert, coast nasty, thick, godforsaken ground. You know, you can be in the big pines. You can be several places. I mean, Cougar, you saw a little bit of it. Yeah. In, in an hour driving, it's pretty diverse difference in ground. But, you know, you head over to that coast range and it's that thick underbrush and ugh. Yeah, we oh, went like over it. there when I was at your house. We didn't hunt it, but we went and drove around over yeah, the coast and looked at it. We drove through it. Yeah, it was it was uh, you know great big trees and thick brush. It was kind of some some neat country. I like to would like to hunt it. It's cool country. Yeah, it, it's just uh, it's different getting around in for sure. And it's one of those you'll bluff out and you don't even know it's coming. You're walking on three foot of fern and. Next thing you know, there's nothing below you. <laughs> yeah. kind of deal. A little sketchy. Yeah. No doubt. But yeah, it's, it's, um, I know Cougar, you like to travel quite a bit because I know you like to test those dogs in oh, yeah. multiple scenarios in different ground and setting conditions. What, uh, would you say that Utah was a challenge in any way or did you see those dogs 
just being smart figure out how to adapt or did they kind of go in and run like they just always do no it was definitely a challenge you know it took a little bit for them dogs to get down them bluffs and and stuff you know because you can watch them on the gps and you know they'd go down one way and get bluffed out and have to turn back and but seemed like once one dog figured out how to get down there they would all or most of them would kind of follow that one dog down there you know and but it definitely is a challenge in itself. You know, it's something my dogs weren't never been in, you know, they weren't used to that kind of stuff at all. But you know, yeah, it was a little bit scary, you know, even for me getting to that tree, you know, it's all snow and it's cliffs. So you don't even know where the edge is at. So, and I got finally made my way down there sliding on my back and I got down there and all of a sudden all the snow's falling on my head and I look up and I see the lion just selling off the the cliff and I'm like, Holy cow. Now I'm going to get back up, you know? So then I had to figure out how to get back up there to the top. I have a video of me standing above the lion on a cliff, and I'm looking straight down at the lion. Oh, I was man. above it. <laughs> and then I was like, how am I going to get down there to where it's at now? It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's definitely a challenge on the hunter and the dogs, those cliffs, you know. But I think once a dog learns how to navigate that stuff, um, you know, they can do pretty good. I, I thought my dogs did pretty well for the first time being there, you know. But I, like I said, they had those other dogs that kind of follow, too. Yeah, that's to me. I think the cliffs would be the scariest part. Yeah, it definitely it's bad is. enough. I mean, you get like leaner trees. Well, shoot, that one we caught when you came up on that trip. Yeah, had that fox went another what five foot before it treed, we probably would have had a whole pack of dogs just right off the edge. Yeah, no, that was steep. Big old cliffs was, there too. Yeah, it's just that makes me nervous as all heck, man. But there yeah, is I, some there is some country out there that'll scare you to death, you know, looking off of it. You got to uh, you can't be faint of heart in that country for sure. No. Well, yeah, guys, I I appreciate you coming on. I mean, let's plug your guide service again real quick, Eddie. So, it's No Tellum Outfitters. We operate out of uh Utah and uh California. And uh yeah, you can find us on the internet and or Facebook, Instagram. We we run all over it. Actually, all Mike over. is our, uh, we use Mike, Mike is our PR guy. He's the best. He's, <laughs> he's got a title. He's the best, video, best video guy there is. Yeah, I run, <laughs> I run the No Tell Outfitters Facebook page, the California Sporting Dogs Facebook page, the CHC's Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. You still yeah. do Small Game America too? Uh, I still run it. Yeah, but they don't, they're not very active anymore. You know, there's yeah. not a whole lot going on, but I still am admin on there. Yeah. Well, I don't know when this is going to air, but I will take one second and talk about there is hope as far as keeping our hunting across the U.S., considering what California just went through. You guys just had a major win. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael, you want to kind of elaborate on that since you're involved with the California Houndsman for Conservation? Yeah, so basically what happened was the... um the Humane Society proposed to the, the California Fish and Game Commission to ban uh, bear hunting in the state of California completely altogether. Um, we already lost uh, running bears with hounds in California back in 2012, but they wanted to completely stop it. So it went through all the committee votes and all that stuff. Well, just the other day, they had the final vote, and we won in our favor 4-0 to zero vote. So yeah, California, unanimous vote. Yeah. So California, that's a good good step, you know, in the right direction. So for everybody out there that thinks there's no hope in the West anymore, let that show you. I mean, really. And a lot of that's just because of the the houndsman clubs down there and the support. 
Yeah, if anybody wants to help general. fight these things, you know, they need to join their local hounds club uh, in California, the California Hounds of Conservation, a statewide club. I'm the vice president for them. Um, then we also have our local club, which is the California Sporting Dog Association, and I'm a board member for them as well. And then you got Oregon has their clubs. I mean, every state is a club. I think if you're a houndsman, you should be involved in a club. And there's a bunch, like California has quite a few. Oh, yeah. The Modesto Club still up, yeah, and Modesto. you got NorCal. Yeah, North Central California Hounds. I'm a member of all of them. Yeah. And I got to tell you, uh, Jason, I, uh, I appreciate you as a hound hunter, you and Buddy, to give houndsmen the platform that we never had before. Uh, things like this and what, and what W does uh, for houndsmen in general. Uh, it's important, I feel like. And, you know, we're fighting an uphill battle all the way, but I, f I feel like we're starting to become on the offense rather than defense. It's a different shift. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it. We're happy to do it. I mean, really, because it, it it's a big deal, and we all got to be on the same team, and we got to support fellow houndsmen, you know, state to state around the world. I mean, it's a big thing. And I think, you know, the clubs that are putting on these the fundraisers and really doing the dirty work to get the California Game Commission to unanimously or unanimously shut down HSUS. I'm telling you. It's amazing. This let is the that second, resonate. Second time they they proposed this was it last year too, and we shut yep. them down. So it's the second time we've we've stopped them. And I know for a fact that some of that came from those board members or commission members actually putting boots on the ground behind dogs. Yes. Lori Jacobs actually took uh, one of the commissioners hunting and, and I don't think he's a commissioner anymore though. Um, but this was back when we got our GPS callers. So she took him, mm -hmm. showed him how the dogs handle and showed him, you know, all this stuff. And, and he was like, all these accusations you guys are making about these hounds, you're totally wrong. He got up in and yep. spoke on our behalf. And uh, it, that, that really helped us. That Lori does a really good job helping uh, fight for the California Hounds. But she's the president of the California Hounds of Conservation, as you know. But, yeah, she yeah. she is a very, very good at what she does. Well, we'll get some links up for that, too. And people can find them on the Join the Fight page. So, but, yeah, man, that was great. I uh, I appreciate you coming on. I feel like we don't get to catch up a whole lot. But it's always fun to see you guys. Thank yeah, you for, for having sure. me. Yeah, well, get some more good stories. We'll we'll do this again oh, for, for sure. sure. Yeah, we got awesome. need stories. I need to start giving all you guys homework and find find <laughs> us an old timer, convince them that it's not that scary. Yeah, and let's get them on here and hear some stories. We probably get Alvin on here. Yeah, I was gonna say, was Alvin at Elk Creek this year? No, no he, he wasn't. He wasn't. I didn't think so. I I know it. It was crazy and real. It hit me. Last year at Elk Creek, I know Sonny was standing there holding the picture, and he just kind of looked over at me, and he says, there's only three of us left out of those nine, or or something to that effect, yeah. and it, it really hits. It's like, man, these these guys got stories that, that, at least if we can get them on here, it's here forever. You know, it's not going to get forgotten in a generation. It's something that we can just continue on. And Well, I'll tell you what. One thing about Alvin, I talk to him nearly every day. Uh and we've had our wars over the years, but that man, he can't see, but he's not lost his mind. And I can ask him, just like I asked Mike about this dog and that dog, dogs that I own that I forgot all about. I have to call these guys to ask him. And Alvin's the same way. His mind is sharp as a tack. So 
Uh, if you could put that together, these old timers are the guys that you need on there. Yeah. No, we've got some some new equipment I got to test out. We can do some phone calls and awesome. It'd be nice. I if would we be could willing make that to. I would be willing to get him somewhere like this so that you could do this with him. Well, we'd love to have you on with him too. I mean, that's to me that those are the best podcasts or the ones that I enjoy the most are when you've got two guys that know each other and and just let the conversation go where it goes because I want I want to hear what you want to talk about. Sure. You know, these stories have been told a hundred times for a reason. It's because they're good. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. So we'll follow up on that one. We'll have to make it happen. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Have a good one. All right, Jason.